Good evening. Turn your Bible, if you will, to Matthew chapter 9. We'll be looking at verses 35 through 38. Let me just say, as you're turning there, uh, today has really been a good day. It's been very encouraging. I hope you've been encouraged by uh, seeing our ministry partners in the corridor there and um, hearing some of the panelists today and just the opportunities before us. Let me just relay to you on behalf of many of them, if you weren't able to speak to them directly, just how much those guys appreciate um, us having a day like this, just to recognize them, just to encourage them. Many of them are swimming in, in situations and circumstances in the city where, to be quite honest with you, they don't get a whole lot of encouragement. And so when they come here and you guys love all over them and say kind words to them and encourage them and, and just remind them that you're in this with it. They don't feel alone. They feel very much encouraged. That was the, the testimony over and over again today. And, uh, and so thankful for George's word this morning as well. It's just been a great day overall. Now let's look at this passage and think about ministry a little bit further in light of some of the things that we talked about today. This passage really is a, is a great framework and summary for the holistic ministry that, that George was talking about in his sermon this morning. It involved uh, teaching and preaching and, and healing, uh, all different aspects of, of ministry and building shalom, just as we discussed. He puts his disciples in this passage in a, in a situation, a ministry situation, and he really unpacks kind of an assessment for them as he looks at ministry that is super helpful for us as we think about ministry. He, he tells them what they need to see. He, he uh, or Matthew describes for us what Jesus feels. Have you ever wondered how that works out? Like, you know, Matthew is describing what Jesus felt internally. That's truly a work of the Holy Spirit working through him to inspire scripture. He also gives us the problem and then a solution to the situation that they're in. And then he moves right into chapter 10, and he actually calls his disciples, gives them some instruction and training, and, and sends them out. Let's look at the passage here, starting in verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we want to be faithful to do just what you called us to do here. Lord, we ask that in light of the plentiful harvest, in light of the things that have been discussed and talked about today, Lord, that you would be faithful as the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into your harvest. Would you answer that prayer, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Years ago, I had the privilege back in 1993 right after the Soviet Union had fallen, to take a team of college students to Kazakhstan. 
which, you know, was right after the Soviet Union had fallen. Things were extremely raw. Actually, that summer, uh, Dan and Catherine Burns had just gotten there and uh, met up with uh, several different people over the course of the summer. And, and uh, one of the men that I spent a good bit of time with that summer uh, was Reverend Tom Cheeley. This is Andy Cheeley, our, our new missions director. It was his father who was one of the first world missions pastors uh, in the United States. And he shared with me this story uh, about Kazakhstan, you know, because we were going to be ministering there. And I was trying to figure out, you know, why, how did this nation become a Muslim nation? And he actually had an answer for that um, you know, going way back in, in Christian history. But going all the way back to um, the um, late 1200s, when the Mongolian Empire was at its peak, it was actually the greatest land empire uh, the world has never known. Uh, it was during the time of the great Kublai Khan, the leader of the Mongol nation. And it was during that time that his mother apparently had some sort of affinity towards Christianity and it influenced the Khan, Kublai Khan, to uh, Christianize his empire. Now think about the opportunity of that. It was also during the time in the travels of Marco Polo. And so he requested Marco Polo, hey, when you go back to Europe, would you bring back at least 200 Christian educators and teachers and missionaries back to my empire? I want to Christianize my empire. Of course, travel was pretty hard at that point in time. Five years later, he returned and he had no teachers or missionaries or pastors with him. Two of them launched with him when he first started, but the going got too tough and they turned back. In the meantime, Muslim missionaries moved into the area and that's the rest of the story. That area became a Muslim nation. Think about the opportunity that was missed in that moment. If only there would have been laborers to go to that part of the world, how different that history would have been. And and really tonight, as we look at this passage, we see Jesus Christ moving into the harvest. It actually says he, he, he saw the crowds. He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So obviously a situation where there are people everywhere with obvious needs, some not so obvious spiritual need, but there were needs everywhere. And he turns to his disciples and he sizes up what he sees. He gives us Right here in the scriptures, he turns to his disciples and he says this, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. If we're going to seize the opportunity of today to minister in our city, we really must understand two things based on this passage here. One is the plentiful harvest and two the need for laborers. And really, those are our only two points tonight, the plentiful harvest and the need for laborers. Let's look at the the plentiful harvest here first. When Jesus moved in, the way as he looked at the crowds and he sized up what he saw, he used an agricultural metaphor. He says, the harvest is plentiful, which being an agrarian society, people would have really understood what that was all about. The harvest basically was the ingathering of the things planted earlier in the year. It was the natural time 
of reaping crops. The idea that it was a plentiful harvest, that would be good news to any farmer. You don't want to have a a scarce uh, uh, crop. You don't want to to have it uh, be a, a, a scarce harvest. So a plentiful harvest is actually good news. They live off the, the fruit of the harvest. And for the farmer, life is ordered around this time of the year. Just like Christians order their lives, or we're supposed to order our lives, around the Sabbath, That is that day is driven down as a stake for the Lord. And then we order the rest of our lives, the rest of our weeks around that day. For a farmer during that time, he would start with a harvest and then he would organize and order his life around the harvest. Nothing competed with the harvest. You get that big rock in first. And there's also a sense of urgency that I think he's communicating here. Listen, when the harvest is ready to go, then we need to be able to act. We need to be able to respond to the harvest. I think what Jesus is trying to do here with his disciples is he's trying to transfer what everyone understands about farming to kingdom work. The lesson here is to recognize the harvest. What's interesting here, what I think Jesus is actually trying to communicate to his disciples is that there are fruit There is fruit everywhere. They're walking in these crowds and he says the harvest is plentiful, but I think the problem is, is that the disciples don't see it. They know how to recognize fruit on the vine, but they don't know how to recognize kingdom fruit. And apparently it's all around it. The harvest is plentiful. You know, Jesus dealt with this in other passages in John chapter 4. Verse 34, you remember where Jesus is, his disciples went off to get food. Jesus is talking to the, to the woman at the well and, uh, he begins to share Christ with her. She's converted. She goes back. She shares with everyone, uh, how this prophet has told her things that she doesn't know. The disciples show back up and they have an interesting response. There were two things on their mind. First of all, it says that they were amazed that he was talking to a woman. That's kind of where they were. You get a a window into their spiritual maturity at the time. And then also they just kept on insisting. It's like, you know, surely he's hungry. And I'm sure Jesus is grateful for these guys going to get food and, and seeing after him. But Jesus turns to them because this is a, a, an opportune time to, to leave them with a lesson. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In other words, there's something bigger going on here that satisfies my appetite than just the bread that you guys brought back. I live and feed off the will of God. But then he makes this interesting comment here to his disciples. He says, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. He's redirecting his his disciples' eyes from just food and the circumstances, him talking with the woman. And he says, look, guys, you are missing it. Lift up your eyes and look all around you. The fields are white with harvest. In some ways, I think right here in this passage, again, we see as as Jesus walked into the crowds, it says that he walks into the crowds, but what he sees is what? Sheep without a shepherd. 
people who are distressed and downcast, people who are harassed and helpless. It doesn't say the disciples saw that. It says that Jesus saw that. Jesus is obviously seeing something that his disciples don't see. So if we're going to be effective in ministry, we need to open up our eyes and ask the Lord to help us see the fruit that is all around us. I wonder if the reason that we don't see more tangible fruit sometimes just in our ministry and in our church out in the city of Memphis than we do is because we simply don't see the people around us as fruit ready to be harvested. And what I find in my own life is it's usually the people that I encounter often and that I've encountered for a long time and we've kind of gone into just a kind of a pattern of related uh, the way we relate that I really don't think of them as people that I might harvest fruit from. Often those places, those are the folks that I think Jesus might be talking about. The things that we see every day, the people, the relationships that we encounter on a daily basis. And I think part of what Jesus is doing with his disciples here is helping them see the spiritual opportunities, the opportunity to minister and gather fruit for life eternal all around them. People we encounter all the time and have conversations with, but never really considered asking them maybe over to our home or maybe to church or maybe even as we were talking about serving our ministry partners today, maybe even asking them to go serve with us uh, through our school partnership. You know, it's interesting. That's one of the, the benefits of the school partnership that we can partake in is that You know, if we have set up these parishes, which I'm really excited about, the parishes have really providing us, and this was by design, to give us a framework that we could do ministry together, coordinated, coordinating our efforts to have a greater impact, not only in our neighborhoods, but in in marginalized neighborhoods, in neighborhoods that are under-resourced, like the schools that we're ministering to this summer. You could actually invite maybe someone who's even a non-Christian in your neighborhood, you could bring them along if they can read and you could do ministry together, you in the spirit, them in the flesh, but you could both read together and use that as an opportunity. You know, one of the things that I've found over the years is that when I engage people, because in our day and time and in, in our culture and society, people are all about community service of some sort. And usually when I ask people, even non-Christians, to join with me in doing something for the city, they're really excited about doing that. But, you know, one of the things I've found is I interact with them. When they're out there serving, there's, a, there's, a, there's more of a sense of humility when we're serving other people. And that is prime time to have greater conversations when people drop their facades, drop their pride And are more open as they see the brokenness around them to look at the brokenness in their own lives. So this is a great opportunity. We have to see the harvest. Here's the second thing that's important, I think, if we're going to seize the opportunity today. Is we not only understand that the harvest is plentiful, but the the need for the laborers. Jesus turned around and he says, the harvest is plentiful. And think about it just for a second. At this point, he could have said anything was the solution to the harvest. You know, he is the sovereign God of the universe. He could have said, you know what? 
what we need, guys, is we need airplanes to take the gospel. You know, 2,000 years from now, I'm going to invent those. I'm going to create those. And, you know, you know, just to go ahead and speed up this world evangelism thing, I'm going to go ahead and bring out planes uh, today here in Palestine, and we're going to speed this thing up. Or, you know what, there's going to be the Internet. We're going to be able to communicate to people all over the place. Or, you know, he could have said, you know, we just, we need more money. This is really the solution to the harvest. But he didn't say any of those things. What he said was the need to the plentiful harvest was to pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So in a sense, prayer is the the spiritual answer. And then the, the, the tangible answer, the feet on the ground or, or laborers. Let's talk about the need for laborers. And we need more laborers. We need laborers who pray. And we need compassionate laborers. All of these come out of this passage here. First of all, we need more laborers. I, I think of uh, when I was growing up down in South Alabama. My family kind of lived out in the country, but we didn't have a farm. Um, but my best friend, they had a pretty large farm. And usually I could count on every year growing up about middle of July when their farm started, uh, harvest season started beginning, moving all the way to probably the first couple of weeks of August, my best friend was going to invite me over to spend the night all the time. And, and, you know, I learned later as we look back on those times, you know, for me, I was just excited to spend a couple of days away from home and hang out with my buddies. And I didn't really care what we did. But daddy, behind closed doors, daddy Nichols was uh, saying, hey, Jeff, why don't you get some of your buddies to spend the night? You know, they irritate me the other 340 days of the year. But, you know, for the next 25 days, we would love to have him. Why don't you have him over this weekend, next weekend, and the next weekend? And they would send us out as laborers into their harvest. It always happened at harvest time. They needed more help for the harvest. This is, this is kind of the simple lesson here. You know, if the harvest is plentiful, for goodness sakes, we just need, we need more laborers in the harvest. But also, it's critical as we think about this, not only do we need laborers to the harvest, we need people to understand this idea of the plentiful harvest as well. You know, years ago when I was working on staff with Camp Outreach and we were first kind of getting the ministry off the ground up at Murray State, which is a, somewhat of a rural school that attracts a lot of rural kids. And so you run into a lot of tobacco farmers and, and um, soybean farmers and corn farmers and all kinds of other things that you could possibly think of. And I'll never forget, I ran into this, this one student. He was a freshman and he was at the New Year's conference and I was talking with him about going on the summer project. And um, he, uh, this was a 10 week thing that we used to do down in Panama City where we would really train and disciple students and how to share their faith, how to grow in their relationship with the Lord. And probably for the first time ever in my life, uh, I, you get all kinds of excuses why he can't spend the summer. This guy said, he said, listen, um, he had a real thick Western Kentucky, you know, Brian, listen, my family, the harvest is coming in during that time and it's all hands on deck when the, when the harvest comes in. And so I continue to get to know him and talk with him and, 
and uh, and he stayed at home that summer. He did, but the next summer, he um, he ended up going on the summer project, and he really began to grow. And what was interesting about this guy is because of his understanding of the harvest and the need for harvest, he was really a guy who who transferred what he had learned as a farmer into his ministry with other guys on his hall. And he had a really fruitful ministry. As a matter of fact, he began praying early on. It's like, Lord, I really want to. He, he, he was so drawn into God's harvest worldwide. He said, I want to be a missionary. And he began praying that. And, and you know, honestly, I, sadly, uh, I hate for you to know this about me, but behind closed doors were like, man, even here in America, we have a hard time understanding this guy's English um, from Western Kentucky. I'm not sure he's ever going to be able to go to a foreign country and speak in a different language. This is going to be a real challenge. So this is really going to be a test of our faith. And so we began praying for him. And sure enough, first three or four mission agencies that he applied with, he got turned down. It's like, okay, who gets turned down for the mission field, right? And, uh, and what do you do? You know, but man, this guy just kept on persisting. He understood the harvest and, uh, and ended up, he landed a missionary job in Nepal. That's where they send missionaries, you know, who are fifth and sixth string. They send you to Nepal. I'm just playing. So he went back over there. He stayed for several years. Eventually he came back and guess what he does now? He's a farmer, but he gathers up all the other farmers during the fall of the year after the harvest has come in and they go back to Nepal and they minister. Here's a guy who understands the harvest and the need for laborers. And he's living out spiritually in his life. We need more laborers to put their hand to the plow. We also need laborers who pray. You know, notice here that when Jesus talks about prayer, he says, go to the Lord of the harvest. Well, why would we go to the Lord of the harvest? Because he's the one that controls everything that goes on in the harvest. He's the one that could actually do something about all the problems that we see and that we discussed here in Memphis today. He's the one that can actually enter in and change all that and send out more workers into the harvest. I'll share a quick story with you. And I've shared this in a couple of different occasions. I can't remember if I've shared it here. If I had, it's still a good story. Um, But years ago, I remember when we started the ministry at the University of Kentucky, we, um, after a couple of years there, uh, the campus outreach ministry, after a couple of years there, uh, we noticed that, that several students were coming to Christ and they were all from the same county, which in Western Kentucky, one of the unique things about Western Kentucky is you ask people where they're from and they give you their county. I've never experienced that kind of culture before. It's like, you know, I'm from Callaway County. And, uh, and so some of these folks were from a particular county. And also at Eastern Kentucky, people were coming to Christ and they were from this county. So we were trying to figure out what in the world is going on? Why are so many people spiritually interested all coming out of this county? And we thought, man, there must be some phenomenal youth groups or, or something like that. And so we started interacting with the students who had come to Christ and who were being discipled. And we started tracing this back and, and we finally traced it back to something very similar to what David Montague said this morning. There was a group of women 
who had gathered together 20 years before this and had committed to weekly praying through every school annual, pictorial annual for every student in that school on a weekly basis in the whole county for 20 years. Think about that. I mean, we're talking like 25 students came to Christ within a year and a half period at these two campuses. Here's what was going on is these women are literally going through and praying through all of these different people. The Holy Spirit is beginning to work in people's hearts and they go to, to the University of Kentucky or they go to EKU and they run into another student on the hall or a staff person there and they share Christ with them. And guess what? Their heart has been prepared. It's fruitful. It's, it's fertile. And, and we see evangelistic fruit. It's amazing to see what God does through prayer. But he specifically tells us to pray for a particular thing here. He says to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is what he wants to do. You know, this must make, sometimes I get confused. Sometimes I get, you know, so overwhelmed with stuff. It's like, I don't even know how to pray. Thankfully, we have the Holy Spirit to help us out. But you know, one thing you can always count on when, when the Lord Jesus says, you ought to try me on this one. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest and watch what I'll do. Remember years ago at another school, we began to pray for one of the schools there. And we prayed for a particular dorm. And, you know, our prayers, which started off, I remember we committed a whole day to prayer. And, and these were kind of the rules and the guidelines for how we prayed that day. We said, listen, all we're going to do is pray for this school today. And, and, and the only talking that we can have between each other is we, we're going to share God's promises. And then we're going to pray those promises. Because what else can we really count on from the Lord other than what he's He's promised us in his scripture. And so sometimes there were some real, after about three hours, we all started running out of promises to pray. And uh, so we'd be digging through our Bible and it really encouraged us. Man, from what I heard, there's thousands of promises in here. We need to tap into all of them. But it was interesting as we prayed and as we tapped into those promises, what happened is we began to move from just praying, you know, Lord, just help us meet one person in this dorm to help us build a, a couple of relationships with people in this dorm. And, and Lord, would it please you to just give us one convert in this dorm? And then over the course of the day, as we were responding to those promises and our confidence and faith began to build and we began to pray that Lord would change these floors in this dorm and, and that we would meet people in the cafeteria and that, and that ultimately that God might be pleased to raise up a, a, a missionary to a foreign country out of this dorm. And then by the end of the day, we prayed really boldly and said, Lord, would you raise up missionaries to go to every continent? We didn't pray for Antarctica and the Lord didn't answer that. Uh, but we did pray for every continent, Lord, would you raise up a missionary for every continent? And guess what? Eight years later, out of this one dormitory that we had prayed for, a missionary had gone out to every continent on the face of the earth. That is a prayer that the Lord enjoys answering. Lord of the harvest, raise up laborers for your harvest. You know, I wonder as we think about our parishes, I wonder as we think about our neighborhoods, what our prayers might be like. I wonder what, what our prayers might look like for our schools. Would we be so bold 
is to pray and say, God, would you just help us build a, a relationship with one child? Lord, would you just help me meet that neighbor? Would you, would you help me be able to invite somebody over to my house that, that I encounter all the time as I'm out walking the dog? And then you begin to claim God's promises. And, and then as you begin to, to read to that child, maybe you pray to, to meet their family after school. And then you begin to, to pray for an opportunity to invite you into, uh, invite them into your home or have a, a deeper conversation with them. And you begin to pray. And, and as the Lord increases your faith, your vision begins to build. Could it be that eventually what we see is we begin praying for Henley Elementary. Lord, would you raise up missionaries to go to the other ends of the earth from these little children that we're reading with? This is the kind of harvest in laboring through prayer that I think Jesus is calling us to. Finally, as we think about our need for laborers, we need compassionate laborers. Notice that when Jesus walked into the crowds here, that he felt compassion for them. But it's interesting here that in the passage, there's a direct correlation between what he felt and what he saw. Notice the the connection there. It says, in seeing... He felt. And so apparently what he saw was directly related to the compassion that he felt. And this goes back to what we were talking about in the very first point. That training our eyes to see the people around us the way God sees them. And when we do that, we begin to become moved with compassion. Jesus was moved with compassion. As a matter of fact... When you think about what this word compassion means, it's used 12 times. And every time it's used in the New Testament, in the Gospels, it's always linked to Jesus Christ. It's a very Christ-like trait. He epitomizes it. And the, the definition for compassion is, is it's a gut-wrenching emotion. In other words, when Jesus saw the need of other people, he hurt in his belly. It was an overwhelming feeling. It grabbed his heart. And, you know, him being the Lord Jesus, I, I've often tried to imagine the pain that he must felt and, 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 you know, what he carried around with him on a consistent basis as he looked out over the crowds and was constantly moved with compassion. Here's the final thing, the compassion that we see here in this passage is that compassion always moves to action. Whenever you see this word here, it's always followed up by action. You want to know if you really have compassion for a person, you act on it. It's different than just pity. Sometimes we can feel pity for someone and we can feel bad or moved or, you know, but, but compassion moves us into action. It actually causes us to reorder, reprioritize the way we live and the way we do things. Compassion is our motivation. It's also a motivation for coming to this table tonight. Sometimes we work out of obligation. We work out of duty. We work out of guilt. We work out of um, um, shame. But the Lord Jesus Christ, as we look at this passage, he remembers, we remember, we should remember as we come to the table that there was a time when everybody here was a sheep without a shepherd. You and I both were harassed and helpless. We were distressed and downcast. 
because we didn't have a shepherd. And then Jesus Christ, our Savior, enters into our life. He pursues us through his blood to make atonement for our sins and to reconcile us to the Father. That's the motivation for everything we do in life. And tonight, as we come to the table, let's enjoy and delight and celebrate the feast that he's prepared before us so that we might leave here and go out into the harvest as laborers. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we, we were once alienated from you. We were separated. And Lord Jesus, you sought us out. You drew us to yourself. You changed our hearts. You gave us the faith and repentance needed to, to, for salvation. Father, you have brought us from being strangers into literally being your very children, Lord, and we're thankful for that. Lord, would you also now, understanding your love for us, would you compel us, would you, would you send us out in such a way that we're not living for ourselves, that we're living for the Lord Jesus Christ in organizing our lives in light of the need for laborers and the plentiful harvest. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.